If you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, turn with me to the book of Joshua. We are going to continue our study in the book of Joshua this morning. Got a question for you. Have you ever been deceived? Have you ever bought into a a lie? I mean, you took it hook, line, sinker, I mean, everything. It was it was you. This past week I was reminded as I spent some time with my mom and my dad and our family over in the Smoky Mountains. I was reminded of a time when I tried to deceive my parents, and I love those times, you know, when it's brought back up, and, you know, everybody's like looking at you because of how much wrong you did, and I just played it off, I I couldn't remember, I'm over 40, I do not remember anything about what you're talking about, and I tried my very best to change the subject, but uh, it stayed there, and it was... They were reminded because when they took my grandmothers and one great aunt over to the Smoky Mountains and I was an 11th grader, they were gone for the whole weekend. And I just thought it was a great time to throw a party. And so we had a house full of folks at my house and I had taken everything into consideration. Everything that was breakable, I just put it over in a corner. And I never thought about the hall bathroom. And in the hall bathroom, my mom had a small table that had all kind of neat stuff on it that moms like to have in hall bathrooms. And there was this table that had three glass shelves. And uh, one of my friends, halfway through the party, decided he needed to make a phone call to his girlfriend, and he went in the hall bathroom to make this phone call, and the cordless phone slipped out of his hands and hit the top glass shelf. And guess what happens when a cordless phone hits a glass shelf? It breaks. And he reached down through it, and he cut his hand pretty good. And so there's blood dripping on the floor, there's blood on the wall, and a broken glass shelf. So what does an 11th grader do? Wipes it up and takes the bottom shelf, which is the same size, and puts it on the top, and everything that's on the bottom shelf is just like an inch and a half lower. And so that was Friday night, and everything was fine. Sunday evening, my mom and dad come in, and it was less than three minutes into their time back that she had to go to the restroom. It was like, why don't you go to your restroom? No, she goes to the hall restroom, and the first thing she does, she doesn't even get to go to the bathroom. Why did you break the shelf? Oh, it was on. I started fibbing. Oh, it was like that already, Mom. No, it wasn't. I mean, I was digging a hole deeper and deeper and deeper, trying to deceive my parents. Deception has a tall tale, and we see this unfold in Joshua chapter 9 this morning. Every single one of us has 
a story similar to what I just stated. Either you were on the end of trying to deceive somebody or you were on the receiving end of somebody trying to deceive you. And that's where Joshua is today. And that's where the children of Israel, somebody, the Gibeonites, close neighbors in the land of Canaan, in the land of promise, are seeking to deceive the children of Israel. Deceptions, tall tale. I'm going to read these verses out loud. As I read them out loud, I want you to think about the Gibeonites. I want you to think about their deception. See it unfold for you. Maybe the first time that you've read this passage in a while or ever heard it read. Think about the deception. And think about maybe what you would have done if you found yourself where they were. And also, as we read the verses, I want you to think about Joshua's as well as the elders of Israel, the leaders in Israel, their response. So here are the verses in Joshua chapter 9. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland, all along the coast of the great sea, that, that's the Mediterranean Sea, toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, when they heard of this, when they heard of what? When they heard of what happened in Jericho, when they heard of what happened in Ai, when they heard of this, they gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon, when they heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions and took worn out uh, sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes. And all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us. Then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you? And where do you come from? And they said to him, From a very distant country, your servants have come, because the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, Take provisions in your hand for the journey and go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Come now, make a covenant with us. Here's our bread. It was still warm when we took, from it, took it from our houses as our food for the journey. And on the day we set out to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins, they, they were new when we filled them. And behold, they have burst. 
These garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the long journey. So the men, they took some of the provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them and let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were their neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached their cities on the third day. None of their... Now the cities were Gibeon, Chepherah, Beroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the people of Israel didn't attack them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation... We have sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And now we may not touch them. This we will do to them. Let them live, lest the wrath be upon us because the oath that we have sworn to them. And the leaders said to them, let them live. So they became cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation, just as the leaders had said to them. Joshua summoned them. And he said to them, why did you deceive us, saying, we are from far from you? We are very far from you when you dwell among us. Now, therefore, you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, because it was told to your servants for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand. Whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of the people of Israel and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place that he should choose. Let's pray. <coughs> Heavenly Father, I uh, got to ask that as we look at this passage, Lord, that you would speak. Father, above anything, We need to hear you. God, your word is truth. And in this passage, there are a number of things that you gave this passage to us for. Father, I believe one of those is that of deception and how it runs rampant in our lives and in our culture and in in our day-to-day activities with others. So, Father, I pray that you would speak through me. God, allow your word to just come alive. Lord, your word is sharper than a two-edged sword. Your word is that that cuts between joints and marrow. Lord, may it do that to all the junk and all the 
feel out of my life and out of our lives and draw us closer to you so that we might praise your name. We might see you for who you are. So God, these that are here this morning, would you speak? I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Deceptions, tall tale. Three keys or three points about deception's tall tale in this passage for us this morning. The first is this. Deception comes about through evasion and cunning. Deception comes about through cunning. You you saw that in these verses. If you were to read verses 3 through 6 again, you would see that these inhabitants of Gibeon, they saw that, hey, everybody is fighting against them and they see the outcome. Israel, everything, everybody else, nothing. Israel's still alive. Israel's still marching and taking over and everybody else dead, defeated, and gone. And they say, all right, uh, doesn't look very good for us on the battlefield, so how can we do this? And so they, the wheels start turning. And there is this plan, this deception, this devious, thoughtful plan starts to evolve and they start building on it and they start thinking about it, they start talking about it as a people and as the leaders of the Gibeonites until it comes to fruition. They were neighbors and because of their persuasion, their customs, their belongings, They deceived their way out of death into slavery. Can you imagine that? You see the outcome coming. You see there is going to be an end. I am on the wrong side of this. How in the world can I get on the other side of this? The only way that I can think about, the only way that I can see myself going from Total destruction to actually having a life is through deception. And that's exactly what they did. And so as they heard Joshua and the children of Israel destroying Jericho, as they heard the destruction of Ai and the defeat of Ai come about, the wheels in their head started turning and turning and turning and they came up with this Go out to the trash heap and get some worn out sandals. Go out to the trash heap and dig through it and find some worn out sacks and some worn out clothes and some worn out wineskins and let's start scheming. I don't know how many times it went through their head. I don't know how many times they acted it out in front of their leaders until the leader said, um... Put a little more emphasis here. Put, don't go that far. They'll never believe it if you take the lie that far. Just put enough truth in there that everything, yep, right there. You're ready. One more time as you're walking that direction and put it into action. Deception comes. It came that day in the land of Canaan. It came that day in the land of promise as the Gibeonites, those that were in that group, they came up to the children of Israel and they said, 
hey, we're from a distant country. We're from so far away. We heard about, and they go all the way back to what God had done in Egypt. And there was a lot of them playing up to the ego of the Israelites, playing up to those that they were talking with, and bringing about this deception. Now, I'm sure that when you try to deceive somebody, when I tried to deceive my parents, uh, these folks were a little more motivated than you and I might be. Because their life literally was on the line versus me. I knew that if I did not, if I got caught throwing a party that probably the next six to eight weeks, if I vaguely remember, those weekends were wide open to do whatever my dad wanted to torture me with to do. And he came up with a nice number of things to do. But their motivation was, if we don't do this, we will die. And I understand that. But you and I need to also understand The reason you deceive, the reason I deceive, the reason that that deception comes against us is really it boils down to self-preservation. That's what they were trying to do. They were trying to save themselves. The Gibeonites were thinking of any way, shape, form, or fashion that they could come about not dying. And that's what they did. The reason they went to the measures that they went to was all because of self. They didn't want to die, so they made up this tale that they were in this distant land, that they had come for so far, that these wineskins were fresh and new, that these clothes, that these sandals were worn, were not worn out, that this bread, oh, it was warm when we got it out of the oven when we left, but it's now dry again. Deception is all throughout the Bible. If you Open the pages of this book. Open the pages of this book. It will not take you very long to see one deception after another, after another, after another. Genesis chapter 3. Satan deceives. The woman deceives. The woman passes blame. The man passes blame. Everybody is trying to deceive. They're trying to deceive the, uh, Satan's trying to deceive man and the woman. The man and the woman are trying to deceive God. They're hiding from him. That's Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 4, there is deception. Cain kills his brother, and he says, What, Lord? Am I my brother's keeper? What are you talking about? I don't know where in the world he is. Knowing good and well, he's exactly where he killed him, right there in the, in the field. Deception. You go a little further in Genesis, and you see in Genesis chapter 26 and 27 and 28, all that is is deception between Jacob and his dad, between his mom, Rebecca, and her husband and the rest of the family. They deceived Esau. They deceived Isaac, all trying to receive the blessing. You look in Genesis chapter 31, and you see Rachel after Jacob has married uh, and not even to think about what happened with Laban. Laban deceived Jacob when he was there and gave him Leah to be his wife instead of Rachel, whom he loved. And then when they were coming back to Canaan, Rachel steals her dad's family's gods. And they're in the tent, 
she sits on them and says, hey, I'm sorry, I can't get up. It happens every month. I just can't do this, so they're not here, Dad. I, I love you. You know I love you. Deceiving. Chapter 37 with Tamar as she is deceiving. And we hadn't even got out of Genesis. All through his, this word, his word, there is deception. One after another after another. And it is all done for self-preservation. So I need you to think about it. What do you do? When the boss says, hey, I've got to have this. And there's no time for you to do what properly he wants you to have done. Do you cut corners? Do you lie and deceive to save your hide? I've been there. I've done that. I've got that t-shirt. The Gibeonites have that t-shirt. Do you lie to cover another lie that you said two weeks before? If you don't watch out, you will forget what you lied about the time before, the time before that you have to lie about to cover. And your deception will crumble right in front of you. Do you cheat? Do you try to raise yourself up to make yourself look good at the cost of others? And say, it's really not my fault that the project's not done. It's his fault or it's her fault. I did what I, I did my part. Maybe you find yourself stealing. I know there's been times, and I wrote this down, and I had to think about it because it, it was me. Maybe you steal from your family time, men. Maybe you steal from your family, ladies, time. And energy, because you and I didn't work the hours of the day that we were supposed to work and the responsibilities that we were supposed to get done Monday to Friday, 8 to 5, they didn't get done, so therefore Tuesday night at 7.30, we still have to be there. Thursday night at 9.30, because something is due on Friday morning, we have to have it done instead of spending that time with our family. Do you steal? When the temperature of the situation that you find yourself in, when you see that it rises, what do you do? Do you lash out at those that have no reason to be lashed out? Do you say, do you think, are your attitudes, your actions, are your work, are they, do they all define, all those things define who you are, who I am, and they all define in those moments what or who is running it. And I believe that Joshua chapter 9 is given to you and given to me this day for this moment so that your life and my life would be, become a different life than what happened in this passage to God's people. Deception comes through evasion, through cunning, through that of a person or a group of people seeking to deceive and erode the truth 
that is all around us. But you and I need to see this, that second, deception takes hold through independence and impatience. Two words that we, if we're anything as a culture, we are an independent culture. And I know the folks that live at 34 Tanner, we are an impatient people. And I am the head of that household and I am the head of the one who is impatient. Deception takes hold through those two things, through independence and impatience. The story that the Gibeonites told weaves in and out of truth and falsehood, truth and lie. And there's just enough truth in there to grab a hold of the people. If you look in verses 7 through 15, you see this. You see that the Israelites, they were on such of a high. They had just taken care of Ai. And they thought, all right, nobody's going to stop us now. There, there is no way that this train will be overtaken, that it can be steamrolled. We will continue on and let's just go. God has given us the word, just go. And they were blindsided in an instant. These folks from Gibeon. For their part, the Gibeonites, they were rock solid and they never wavered in their approach. They started with this lie, and they said, that's my story, I'm sticking to it, and they did, and they sold it well. Look with me at some of the reasons, some of the aspects for this deception, and think about your life, and think about our lives. The first, I told you, was self-preservation. They knew that everybody that was in the land, every nation that was in the land, every people group in the land, all the ites, they were done away with. And so there's like, how can we have that self-preservation? What can we do? And here's the plan. Different from everybody else, so maybe it'll work. But second, look at their deception. And, and you need, we need to grab a hold of this this morning. Their deception and Satan's deception for you and me and our lives today all focus on the senses. What you can smell, what you can hear, what you can touch, what you can taste. All of these senses are brought in. What you can see, all of them are brought in. In this lie, and every time that Satan comes at you and he comes at me, it's the same thing. He uses the sensory world, the aspects of this world, of this time, of this day, to get at you. Look at that bread. Oh, Israel, look at that bread. It was warm when we got it out of the oven when we left the house. But right now, it is dry and crumbly. Look at those sandals. Those things were brand new. I just made those things, and they are now worn out because of our journey. Look at the sacks. Look at the wineskins. Look at our clothes. You want to taste the bread? Here, taste it. You see all this dirt on us? Man, we were fresh, shaven, clean cut. We were great when we left the house. But we've been on this journey for so long. 
everything that is going into this deception deals with the senses. And if you and I take it just for that, you and I will find ourselves just like the Israelites. Genesis chapter 3, sensory deception. Genesis chapter 26 through 31, sensory deception from a son to a father. Jacob went and got Esau's clothes and clothed himself. Jacob went and got goat skin to put on his forearms and around his neck. Jacob went out and he got the, uh, the things of the field to bring in and to put in the food that he gave his dad so that when his dad ate it, he would be deceived. Genesis chapter 37, Tamar played the prostitute, feel, sensory, all over it. And so you look at it from that side, the deceivers are those that are using the five senses to get at you and me. But look at it from the other side, from the children of Israel. What were they doing? The children of Israel, they got taken by this for one reason. Verse 14. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. They took in all the sensory things, and they just took their judgment on the sensory things, on the things of this world. And as they took in the things of this world, they did not ask counsel from the Lord. Ma'am, think about uh, the last three or four months in your life. There's some places where you have struggled as a mom, as a wife, as, as a lady. Guys, there, there are places that you have struggled. Ladies at the job or at the house, guys at the job or at the house, are there places that you have struggled? And the reason, if you boil it down, the reason that you have struggled, the reason that you have found yourself just where the children of Israel found themselves is simply you didn't ask God about it. I stand here and I tell you, there is a place to use the gray matter in between our ears. There is that place. You need to understand this. There is that place. But there is also a time where you and I need and must fall on our face before God and say, God, I don't understand what you want me to do. I don't understand. Is this person real or is this person false? Is this the direction you want me to go or is that, or is that the direction you want me to go? And the children of Israel did not seek the counsel of the Lord. And because of that, because of what happened in verse number 14, and they did not seek the Lord. They weren't able to reap the full blessing that God had for them. Is that where you are? Is that where you are today? You're like, I'm, I'm kind of like halfway in between. I find myself not being able to reap the full blessings that God has for me, maybe because of some decisions that I think of in the past. You and I need to see the outcome. But before we see the outcome, let me remind you of a passage of Scripture in the New Testament. Let me read it for you. Ephesians chapter 4. 
Verse 17 states this. I, I go to this passage often, but here's what it says. This I say and testify in the Lord. You, church, you, sons and daughters of the king, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. How? In the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous. And they have given themselves up to sensuality. They have given themselves up to greed. To the practice of every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Or another translation, that is not the way that you have come to know Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him. As the truth is in Jesus, put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Jesus said, you don't want to be deceived? Okay, church. Okay, sir. Okay, ma'am. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk. How do they walk? They walk by their senses. They walk by what feels good to them. They walk by what looks good to them. They, they walk by what sounds good to them. He says, you don't want to be deceived? Don't walk that way. You didn't come to know Christ. It's not that you didn't come to know about Christ. He says that a little later, the, the next verse. He said, you didn't come to know Christ. You did not learn Christ that way, that word is experiential, start a relationship, that bond is there. You did not come to know Christ by your senses. It was something supernatural. Trust and reliance on sensory input is not how you got saved. And if that is not how you got saved, spiritually your life needs to be lived out day upon day differently. Deception's terms are given, and they're adhered to. They got found out, just like I got found out as an 11th grader, just like you have gotten found out in all your lives, because you and I can't keep juggling. Those lies will find you out, and that's why I entitled the sermon, Deception's tall tales. They tried so hard to cover up the lie. But when you deceive, when I deceive, there is no way that it will pay what it promises to pay. The Gibeonites were placed into slavery that moment. That moment, sure, they did not kill them, but that moment... From that point forward, they were never free again. So in one instance, they were free. That moment, they became those that went to the well and drew water. That moment, they were the ones who went and cut firewood for each family. They were the ones who went and cut firewood and drew water for the temple of God. Every single day for the rest of their lives and their kids' lives and their kids' lives after them, that was who they were. And if you and I buy into the lie 
you and I allow our senses to rule and guide us and guide us alone, you and I will find ourselves in the same place that they did. There was truth in this passage. It's God's word. There was truth for I'm sure the Gibeonites did hear of the report of God. I'm sure that the Gibeonites did hear of what God did in Egypt. I'm sure that the Gibeonites did hear of what God had done to the kings on the other side of the Jordan. I'm sure that the Gibeonites had heard what God did in Jericho and God did in Ai. My question as I close is who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the deception that this world is telling you and it is telling you so loud and it is always in your face and it's always in my face and it is driven by those five senses and I'm telling you, it is on. Every time you turn on a TV, you turn on a radio, you open a book, you open a magazine, it is on. You talk with an individual, those lies, this world is seeking to deceive. Or, are you going to take the report of what God has done for age upon age upon age? Are you going to take this report, this report that speaks of one who left heaven, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect, sinless life, and took your place, all because he loved you, not because you deserve it, because you don't, I don't deserve it, none of us deserve it, but because of how much he loved you and he loved me, he died for us, and now he is at the right hand of the Father, and every time that the deceiver throws something up that I did, God, he threw a party. He lied to his mom and dad. He stole. He lied. He cheated. He did this. He sinned. He sinned. Jesus is not saying he didn't do it because Jesus knows I did it. And more than what he's bringing in front of him. He knows everything that I've ever said, ever thought, ever done, ever wanted to do. Jesus says, Father, he's guilty, but I paid for it. And he says the same for you and you. Yes, we're guilty. But the question out of Joshua chapter 9 that I want you to think about is, who are you going to believe? Father, we come before you. God, it is a... Uh, it's a story and it's a... An action that takes place so often that it second nature to us, I think. God, we don't even think about it before we do it, before we say it, before the, the thought and the motive is in our minds. It's just how we have done and how we do. God, you, you call it sin. It is something that breaks fellowship with you and with us. And it is something that 
we have to take to the cross. Father, for those of us that are in this room right now that are deceiving others. God, we're deceiving others by our words. We're deceiving others by our actions. Father, I, I pray that you would allow those things to come out. We can't hide there anymore. God, if we, if we won't take them to you voluntarily and turn away from them, God, would you, just as you did with those at Gideon, God, they were found out. Would the falsity that we are standing on, Father, for those of us that have been deceived, would you remind us of the song that we sang a moment ago? That we have never, nor will we ever walk alone. That you are faithful in the midst of the trial, in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of this great loss. God, that you are walking right there with us. I pray that those in that moment right now that are listening, that are praying alongside of me. God, you would show yourself to them. Financially, you are right there with them as they struggle, and you are going to provide. You are providing. You have provided. Protection. God, you are protecting. You have protected. God, you're faithful. Father, there is a lost and dying world all around us. God, it's so easy for me, it's so easy for us not to open our mouth, not to say a single word. Father, burn upon me, burn upon us the great news that we must tell. We must tell Hernando, we must tell DeSoto, we must tell for you God, you have suffered much. You deserve so much more. This invitation, this time of response is for you today. Some of you here have been deceived and you're holding on to it. It's a grudge. It's something that you have, that's happened months ago, years ago. You need to lay it at the cross. Allow him to take up the burden. Allow him to, to deal with that. And you just need to come and lay it down. Some here have been the one who is in the midst of, who has deceived, and you need forgiveness. He's the only one who can forgive. Some are walking in that right now. And I pray that this today has been a message that has opened your eyes, that has taken back the scales, that you might work it out, live it out, apply it. So as we stand and as we sing, the invitation is for you, sir. It is for you, ma'am. Would you come back to him? Would you come to him? Would you understand that he is greater and he loves so much more? Thank you.